0: Hello, welcome to God's Peace. I am your host, Pastor Nicholas Candle of the New York Mills Apostolic Lutheran Church, and today I'm joined by Gary Bertram and Lois Matson. Gary was a member of the Central Board for many years and is a minister at the New Ipswich Congregation. Lois is the editor of the Christian Monthly, the administrator at the ALC Balm of Gilead, and a podcast host in her own right. Gary and Lois, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. How are you guys doing?
1: Well, I have a little announcement to make. I'm doing all right, but today is my 70th birthday, so I feel like a little bit like an old man today. Oh, wow. Happy
0: birthday.
2: Yes, happy birthday. That's so cool.
0: Yeah, it's, it's kind of humorous. We had about a 15-minute powwow here before we got started, and this is the first we're hearing that it's Gary's birthday. So <laughs> he wanted a genuine reaction. Yes, he got one. Well, congratulations, Gary. It's, it's good to have you. Yeah. So today, there's a lot of things we hear today about confession and absolution. There are some that say that um, we have to uh, approach it in a certain way and follow this formula or it's not valid. There's some that put emphasis on certain aspects. Luther calls absolution a golden treasure. Um, The proclamation of absolution, a golden treasure. John says in his epistle, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And James says, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed. So confession and absolution definitely has its place in the life of the church and there are many different um, opinions concerning that. Well today Gary and Lois are going to help us go through Luther's small catechism and we're going to um, study that on confession and absolution. But first we need to uh, get to know our guests a little bit. Gary why don't you uh Tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe your upbringing. Whose boy are you?
1: Okay, well, um, my parents are James and Alma Bertram. My father passed away two years ago. My mother's still living. She's 92 years old. I grew up in Ironwood, Michigan. I was actually born in Chicago, but I was a month old when they moved back to Ironwood. That's where my mother was from. So I grew up there. In the Apostolic Lutheran Church. And when I was 19 years old, I moved to New Hampshire. And I've been here ever since, uh, except for the last few years, we've spent about three and a half months in Florida and Lake Worth. So um, that's, you know, and I've oh. been a member of our church here. I've been a, started with us being a Sunday school teacher, and then I was asked to speak and so forth.
0: Oh how long ago was that that you were asked to speak?
1: Um it's 30 somewhere between 30 and 40 years. I don't actually remember the exact year. I could probably find that out, but it's probably 35, 36 years or something like that.
0: Okay. And so when you were you were speaking does that um does your does your ministry in New Ipswich include um, like visiting people in the hospital or Yes. Counseling sessions, things like that.
1: Right, I do quite a bit of that um, right now. I do um, a fair amount of counseling. Um, I do marriages and and uh, funerals. Um, I visit uh, once a month. We go to a, a jail to have a service. And so, I'm oh, what's that like? Of, that's uh, very interesting. I I actually enjoy it. Um, we go to the county jail, which is not. You know, people are there for up to a year. Um, and we go and sit right with the prisoners and uh, have a little combination, uh, I read a text, and then we open it up for discussion. We kind of like have a Bible study with them.
0: Oh, nice. It's
1: very, It's very, uh, it's rewarding. It really is. It's, I enjoy doing that.
0: Sounds I could get like that. It. So on top of all those duties, um, do you have a, a secular job or are you retired?
1: I'm retired now, but I used to work full-time. I worked for Hutter Construction uh, in the office. I did uh, estimating and project managing, and then I was president of the company for about five years, too. Oh, wow. So it was an intense, intense job.
0: Yeah, and so was it, how was it for you managing the ministry and a full-time job at the same time? It was
1: very difficult, you know, and um, I I tried to do my best at it, um, but I have to say, probably my family suffered. So it's not the best way. I would, I don't, I wouldn't recommend that for any any place, but but that's that's our system here. So,
0: you know, I find myself. Um, searching to make sure that I'm, my family's not suffering. And I, I'm blessed to be able to uh, just just be full-time in the ministry and let that yep. also be my income as well.
1: Right. That's, that's very good. That's the best system.
0: Um, so when did you first get on the central board?
1: Well, um, I, was, uh, I was appointed in 2006. Uh, Ivan Seppala was the secretary at the time and he was, uh, had some health issues and so the, board, the central board appointed me to finish his term and, and to be the secretary. So I was the secretary for a number of years after that and then I, I was on five three-year terms besides so I was on 15 years and 15 and a half years.
0: Um, So for those who may not know, what, what is the central board and what's it for?
1: Well, it's the, um, it's the governing board of our federation of 50 something churches. Um, We do, we do the paperwork and the, and the busy work. Plus, plus we also do um, the examination for candidates to the ministry. We do ordinations um, and we're uh, a place to answer questions, but, but of course there's still, um, you know, as the board, we would meet and discuss the matters of our congregations and the Federation. And it was a time of uh, lots, it was lots of discussion time, uh, doctrinal issues that would come up. And of course we studied the, the Book of Concord while we were there too, and it was wonderful. It was a good good experience.
0: Good. Do you have a favorite theologian?
1: Well, there's there's no question. It's Martin Luther. I mean, i i uh, I've read lots of Martin Luther, what he wrote, and books about him, and biographies and whatnot. I it's very. I really enjoy Martin Luther.
0: Do you? Um, was there a pastor in the Apostolic Lutheran Church that had a big impact on your life?
1: Oh yes, yeah. In my in my youth, back in Ironwood. Our, our pastor at the time was Ueno Matila. Okay? And, uh, and I enjoyed and appreciated his preaching and his teaching. It was, very, it was very good. I mean, he wasn't the only one that had an effect on me, but at the time when I was young, it was very good.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah, the Lord has blessed us with many ministers to uh, serve us with in mm-hmm. the Apostolic Lutheran Church. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so do you have a favorite book? Um, are you reading anything lately?
1: I'm reading lots of things, actually, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm not saying I really have a, you know, if I have to, you know, of course I read the Bible, you know, and I try to read every day. Um, I've got I got a broad range of interests, okay? So, um, I like, you know, I've read virtually everything that I can find that Lars Levi Lestadius wrote. There's there's a fair amount, and I'm not bashful to say that I'm a Listadian. and there's there's quite a bit that he has written, and... um, you know he's got there's one book that i really enjoyed was the voice of one crying in the wilderness this and this this is so interesting because it tells us where we came from and i think it's so important for us to understand that you know maybe not our young people today but me you know i were you know i knew well many of those immigrants from finland and from Europe. And I was able to understand them by studying this. Um, another favorite old book is the memoirs of early Living, of early Christianity in Northern Lapland. And I will tell you what's what I really liked about that was not only was it interesting history, but it showed that these early preachers, they're awakening, they're coming into faith, was very different they were they were not all the same by any means and i think sometimes we look into the past and we say well this is how it was well no it's it was very it was varied it was very different
2: yeah i have a question yes who's the author of the book memoirs of early christianity
1: artu lightening
2: okay thank you
1: another thing that's interesting about him was he was uh You know, he was a priest. You know, he was a priest in the in the state church. So he wrote. Getting away from theological uh, books, um, I've really enjoyed books about uh, uh, slavery in the United States, about the abolitionist movement. You know, I, you know, one book that sticks out. It was All on Fire. Uh, It was a really good book. And of course, I'd like to read. I've read lots about. the jewish people and in the holocaust and world war 2 and things like that but those those are been those are i enjoy reading those even today
0: so history seems to be a
1: history a, i love history yeah, yeah love that's history. cool yeah. yeah um and i'd like to also add there's one we would say pietist book that i really enjoyed and that was a faithful guide to peace with god by Carl Olaf Rosénius. Um, in my young days, that was given to me as a gift. And um, I, it was good for me when, you know, as a 20-year-old to read that.
0: Interesting.
2: My, my answer to that, what's your favorite book, yeah. is always, or usually, the one I'm reading right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> how can you pick a favorite, you know? I mean, yeah. that's right. hard. Yeah, but um, I lately have reread again, Bo Geertz's *The Hammer of God*, and yeah. I really appreciate that one. That one was on my dad's, at my dad's house on his counter mm-hmm. for years and years, and I saw it, and I never at that time read it. I'd pick it up and look at, you know, see, s- scan a paragraph or two, but I didn't appreciate it then like I do now.
0: Yeah, it's a it's just a fascinating book. I can't recommend that enough. I think that's probably the a book that's came up the most on this podcast and our past mm-hmm. episodes that that um, people mention as being one that's worth reading. Mm-hmm. So, Lois, whose girl are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: All right, I am Leo and Doris Nimula's girl, and I grew up in the UP of Michigan, uh, which is you know the best place to be from. I love I love <laughs> I Michigan, agree. but oh boy, those winters and yeah.
0: I used to joke around and say um, that uh, I had to go back to the UP where it's always winter and never that, Christmas.
2: Exactly. You got your reference. Absolutely. So um, yeah, I grew up up there. I got married very young. I got married at 17 and married Al Matson, and he is a West Coast boy. So we ended up on the West Coast. We kind of bopped around a little bit when we first got married and ended up here in the early eight mid 80s. Sorry, mid 80s. And then um, we've been here ever since.
0: Do you have any children? I
2: do. I have eight living and one in heaven. Wow. Yeah, my oldest is um, mid to late 30s. Let's say late 30s and my baby is 14.
0: Oh, wow, that's quite the range. Yeah, that's we got
2: cool. a we we got a range. My oldest granddaughter is only 7 or 8 months younger than my youngest son. So they kind wow. of grew up together.
0: So you went to seminary and what was what made you decide to do that?
2: That was a really interesting time. I was it was many years ago. I went to the sem for many many years. I probably am their longest running student, but not full time, not all the time. I had a thirst for God's word that I could not quench. Um, thanks be to God. Right. It is it. It was like my Bible study. And that's what I started with was I want to do, you know, I don't remember the first book that they were studying, but that was what I wanted was the books of the Bible. Like, let's study the book of John. Let's study the book of Romans. Let's study, you know, whatever. So I started taking classes and they were really early in the morning here, which was really nice. Um, You know, classes started up there in Michigan at nine o'clock and it was six in Washington. So I would get up and I would do an hour of class and then I would get on with my day, get my kids off to school or start homeschooling or whatever. And so I did that and it was, it was a sporadic thing. It was off and on, you know, I'd take classes for a few years and then I'd have a baby and life was crazy. And I, I'd not take classes for a year or two or term or two or six, you know? So I was kind of in and out and in and out for many, many years. And then when they started the Deaconess program, I didn't actually start attending that immediately. It had been, um, some years already because I didn't feel like it was anything that I needed to do. I was good with where I was, you know, and I I took not only biblical books, I started with biblical books, but then I went to church history fascinates me. um, You know, old theologians fascinate me. So, you know, we get telaki and I'm like, <laughs> yes, I want to, you know, I love these, I love these writers that laid down the, Principles in the scripture so clearly, and and put thought into how that. What does that look like? Right. You know, I so, would not
0: use clear to describe Helmet tealicky but <laughs> no, no, but no, yeah, no. I get what you're saying.
2: But but he thinks deeply. Oh yeah, maybe better than clearly is and deeply.
0: A brilliant he man, deeply.
2: He, yes, and he asks the hard questions. When the deaconess program came along, I didn't start taking that immediately. And one of one or both of the professors at that time at the SEM said, Lois, you should be taking the Deaconess program. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I don't need it. I'm fine. You know, and eventually they sat me down and said, Lois, you're doing the work of a Deaconess and you're not trained to be a Deaconess. Don't you think you should have some training? And I'm like, "Okay, maybe I should.
0: Yeah. So what is the um, deaconess program and what's the work of a deaconess?
2: A deaconess is a woman who is a church worker, maybe in a professional capacity, maybe not. But trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, through spiritual care, through teaching the Christian faith. And so it's primarily for women, though. It's service to women, as Paul writes to Titus in chapter two of the older women teaching the younger women to love their husbands and love their children. And right. You know, it's so that's kind of the work of a deaconess is more in serving the women of your congregation or the women in your sphere of influence. But with some training, because, you know, you you come across situations that you You need to have a little bit of um, how to give counsel graciously. You need to know how to um, respond to maybe shocking or difficult situations. You know, so there's the training was very helpful. I really enjoyed the Deaconess program and
0: I learned a lot. And so how did you um, tell me about your podcast? How did how did that come about?
2: So that was actually a result of the seminary. So I had this Titus 2 thing on my mind, older women teaching the younger women. And it was just kind of poking me for a long time. And I was like, yeah, yes, I'm going to do something about that. So I was wrapping up my deaconess program at the SEM. And one day in class, it, it may have been the last day, I don't remember, we were talking about Somebody asked, what are you going to do after you graduate? And I said, well, one of the things I want to do is start a podcast. Primarily for women. And talk about all the dicey stuff that we don't talk about. Because we are afraid to talk about sexual sin. We're afraid to talk about addiction. We're afraid to talk about what does it look like for a wife to submit to her husband? Mm -hmm. You know, these topics that we just... Don't want to touch with a ten foot pole. and I'm like, I want to talk about these things. I want to interview people and find out what, you know, get some um help out there for how to deal with trauma. That was a recent one. You know, so, um, I just kind of said, yeah, I want to start a podcast and talk about all this dicey stuff. Well, then later at the end of class, our professor whose initials, I will say, are Chuck Bilkis said so yeah lois you know you go start a podcast called dicey stuff and you know kind of just gave me a, a like a farewell at the end of class and or at the end of my days at the seminary at that point and um so i was thinking about i'm like boy as soon as he said that that popped into my head i'm like that is a really good name there it is for a podcast but then I was, I was second guessing it, you know, I'm like, boy, I don't want to only talk about dicey stuff. Like, I don't want this to be just like always things like sexual sin, addiction, um, you know, submission, you
0: know, just only you know? messy things.
2: I'm like, but I really want to talk about real stuff, mm-hmm. you know, everything real that's worth talking about. So I was talking to my husband, Al, about this title i wanted to use the title dicey stuff but i told him everything is not dicey stuff like there are subjects that aren't really that you know controversial or mm-hmm. important or not it not that they're not important but that they're not as difficult to talk about or I guess controversial would probably be the best term so he said everything is dicey stuff you ask In our ALC background, make a post on ALC community and say, should you use ketchup or gravy on your pasty? And you're going to have a conversation full of dicey stuff because everybody has an opinion and it's their opinion and it's important. Oh, yeah. So I realized everything really worth talking about is dicey stuff. So I want to talk about all the dicey stuff that we never talk about, like, the issues of the day transgenderism homosexuality wives submitting to husbands sexual abuse domestic abuse m- divorce and remarriage all of these topics that we just kind of ignore because they're hard subjects to talk about
0: yeah well i've listened to some of the episodes and they are valuable even for uh, for men Uh, to listen to. So give uh, Dicey Stuff, uh, um, we'll put a link in the description and uh, give it a listen.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: How long have you been involved with the Balm of Gilead and how did that work?
2: Um, It has been uh, somewhere around, good grief, all these years things, maybe five years, a little more. Um, I started there um, working actually in more in like tech technology like updating the website for them and doing things like that where it was more you know working on um editing literature and getting it printed things like that so but um since then I have become the coordinator so I'm using you know doing more kind of hands-on work rather than a little more um, talking to people and, you know, presenting information and-
0: Well, that's that's interesting. Um, I suppose I should also ask, what is the uh, Balm of Gilead?
2: Yeah, so the ALC Balm of Gilead is a ministry that Gary and his um, mm-hmm. friends on the central board established um, earlier, uh, do you remember when that was Gary? Do you know when it started? I don't. I want to say it was somewhere around the time you got on the board, but I'm not sure.
1: It was shortly after that, you're right. Okay. There.
2: So, um it is a ministry for survivors of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. So, we offer help uh you know, healing, we we hope for healing. And that's our goal is to provide resources Um, Through support groups, through education, through people just being able to talk about their struggles, you know, their, their pain, because sexual abuse causes real damage. And so this was established for the survivors. We also educate to prevent. So we just, at this last convention this summer in New Hampshire did a presentation on human sexuality and what that looks like in um, regard to what the world says about it and what God's word says about it and those two are vastly different
0: yeah I drew from some of that at bible study um on Wednesday night good Um, it, it was a very good seminar. for um, I'll, I'll, I think actually we should be able to link that in the description if anybody is curious about listening to that. What about the Christian Monthly? What's that all about and how long have you been the editor of that?
2: That's been even a longer term. I think I started that in maybe 2008 if I remember right. Um, Christian Monthly is a monthly publication of the apostolic lutheran church it actually started in something like 1944 before that it was in finnish oh wow yeah so it's long it's a long running and it's a publication um wh- we publish you know articles from pastors we publish lay people um, letters of encouragement letters of exhortation Um, There's a regular, um, there are some regular contributors who add, you know, one, a page for children. Um, So it's just a monthly publication, small, you know, it's not a huge book, but with short articles of encouragement for continuing on the Christian walk, you know, in encouragement in faith.
0: So, if somebody wanted to submit something to the Christian Monthly, how would they go about doing that?
2: There actually is a way to submit. There is supposed to be a way to submit on the Christian Monthly website. So there is a
0: there's a submission link. We can put that in the description as well.
1: Then. Right.
2: I will say that uh, sometimes I've had people contact me and say it's not working. So, or hasn't you know it it has had glitches.
0: Yeah, technology can be like that.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> um so do you you mentioned your favorite theological book, what about non-theological? What do, what do you generally like to read for fun?
2: Oh, that's really hard. Um I also like history a lot. So I read a I read a lot of, you know, even if it's not a theological book, I read a lot of kind of history of the christian church and history of different eras of that so i like i like non-fiction i like history and most specifically how that has how history has impacted the christian church you know what we've what we've endured as a church body
0: right and
2: how we've you know i think part of it is how we get to where how we get to where we are today.
0: Mhm. Yeah, that is that is kind of uh the uh, crux of um of learning and growing is understanding where we came from. Exactly. And that's kind of what we're attempting to do do here. Um so Gary, um mm-hmm. now you're 70 years old, so you've um you've lived through a lot of different ministers and teachers mm-hmm. and Um, I'd ask you, how consistent has the teaching on confession and absolution been in your lifetime here in the Apostolic Lutheran Church?
1: Well, it hasn't been consistent. You know, there's been, we've gone through a few different stages along the way. You know, sometimes it's been taught very well. Other times it's been taught exacting. and, And other times it seems like it's not even taught.
0: What what do you mean when you say exacting?
1: Well, for instance, you know I can remember in my youth, you know, and I don't remember hearing this from the pulpit, but I remember lots of discussion about, you know, when we confess our sins, that it must be by name, you know, and it must be, you know, you know, it's not like um, it has to be so exact, but if it's not by name, well, it's almost like it's not really a true confession. And I remember that that kind of discussion.
0: Yeah, I remember hearing um, you know that adage: sin was committed with a name, and it yes. needs to be put away with a name.
1: That's correct. Yeah, and there's there is some value to that. You know, I, I believe that you know the one that's confessing, um, he's bubble. Bu- bothered by a particular sin that he's fallen into or something like that. Well, I believe there's, he receives more strength if he does it by name. The problem is, if it's a demand, then it's, that's where it's, that's where it's
0: wrong. So when you say exacting, are you kind of talking about the idea that um, in order for a sin to be forgiven, it has to be confessed by name, Yes. And then receive receive absolution
1: right, right, right you know and when I began to realize that that teaching was wrong is when I started to hear people say, "How can I confess all my sins because I don't even remember them mm-hmm. I've had so many I've lived in so much sin that how is it even possible for me to be saved well, that's the the lights start coming on well that's we we have to be careful how we teach that
0: yes lois has that been your experience too yes definitely
2: and i think i think gary is really onto something when he says that the the sins that we know and trouble us and that's what we say in the in the catechism but To receive strength to believe that that sin actually, when I can name it and say, this is bothering me, that sin actually, I can hear those, that thing absolved. And then I, it gives me strength when the devil comes and says, you did that thing. Remember, I can say, Mm -hmm. wait, I heard with my own ears that Jesus forgave that, that one particular thing. It's forgiven. So if you have a problem, take it up with Jesus. I'm
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. I really like how Luther calls it a golden treasure, um, receiving that absolution. Because, um, you know, the devil tells us over and over again, that if anybody finds out that um, about this sin that's troubling us, um, that that they're going to think that um, we're crazy or dumb or gross or, um, you know, he's going to try to convince us that we're the only one. And so when you do give voice to your sins in confession and actually claim them as something that you have done and, um, and, then, and then hear the absolution, um, it is amazing because you're not receiving what the devil told you you would get here, someone is hearing your sins. And instead of receiving condemnation and judgment, you receive absolution, which is total forgiveness. Yes. And um, that's beautiful. And that's, that's really what um, Luther, what he uh, highlights in this opening section of the, of the catechism. He says, um, it says, what is confession? And he says, confession embraces two parts. One, that we confess our sins. The other, that we receive absolution or forgiveness from the pastor as from God himself, and in no wise doubt, but firmly believe that through it, our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. Mm-hmm. And so I read that, and um, Luther says quite plainly that confession embraces two parts, that we confess and that we receive absolution. Um, And it seems like if I'm understanding Gary correctly, that um, our church has um, at some times emphasized one part and in some times not emphasized another and um, basically put the emphasis on the wrong syllable in this regard. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really appreciate how it says two parts and confession is one of those parts as well as absolution um so what do you what do you think about that gary um about confession being a part and absolution being the other
1: well that's um that's how I that's how i see it also i mean so i believe that in our history we have stressed confession more than absolution and uh And I believe confession is good. This, like you say, like Luther said, this is a golden treasure. It's a wonderful, wonderful grace that we can do that. But uh, absolution is has to be connected with it. And again, I want to go back to this um, naming of sins. Um, When we confess our sins, and let's talk to confessor fathers now. When somebody comes to confess their sins. don't tell them that those sins that you confessed that you can believe those forgiven. Tell them you can believe all your sins forgiven. You know again because don't make it like it's because you said those words therefore there's there's uh, forgiveness for you. You know it's it's absolution is complete. Um Also, I'd like to go back to even Luther's words in the catechism that, you know, when you receive that absolution, that you can receive, um, you can firmly believe that through it, our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying those words are wrong, but our sins were forgiven on the cross of Calvary. Our sins are forgiven. And and this preaching of absolution is, in simplicity, is what we're saying that those sins that you've been confessing your sins, but they have already been forgiven on the cross. Mm -hmm. And I'm just preaching absolution so that your eyes of faith would be turned again to what Jesus did for you on the cross of Calvary. That's where our forgiveness came from.
0: Yes, without the work of Jesus on the cross, um absolution would not be valid.
1: That's right. That's that's the that's where the strength of it comes from. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and um but it is much more than just a reminder. It is a active declaration that it is, is the word of God and does have and it, power.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right. It is powerful.
0: <clears throat> but I think I'm um, so
2: we Oh, go ahead. But I think it's not a transaction in that I confess these things and I receive forgiveness for these things. Like, like when I buy something at the store, you know,
0: I, right. I give them yeah. the money
2: and they give me the thing.
0: Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. That's a good distinction to make. Um, mm-hmm. Because we tend to be very transactional about those things. And we definitely do bring that into our relationship with God. Right. Um, we do it in our prayers. We do it all our lives, thinking if I give, then I'll get, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: and that's just not always the case.
1: Yeah.
0: We live in quite a different time than Luther. Mm-hmm. You you notice he says that um, you confess to a pastor. My question is, um, what if um, what if it's a situation like uh, like new new Ipswich where there isn't a full time pastor where there's minister? Does it have to be a minister that you confess to?
1: No. Here's where also Luther's understanding comes in, you know. He said that we're there's a priesthood of all believers, and that's very important for us to consider. Uh, that everyone, every Christian, has the power to preach absolution and forgiveness. Um, is there a benefit to doing it with a pastor? Yes, I believe. I believe that would be. Uh, a great benefit. I think a pastor with, um, you know, not necessarily saying that the the pastor has the most spiritual experience in a congregation, but yet he does have experience of dealing with people and he can give uh, advice and consolation, uh, scriptural advice and consolation uh, for, to the, to the person who's troubled. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I've, I've found also that um, the pastor is the one that God has called to serve you in this regard, mm-hmm. to take care of your spiritual needs and to be your spiritual shepherd. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, so there's, there's no better place to go yeah. um, with these kinds of issues than the one who God has called to that role. Right. Um, now, that being said, if you're, um, you know, uh, if, if you're going through something and you're pat and you don't have a pastor, there's not a pastor available, then a trusted brother and sister in Christ, yeah. um, is, is good to go to. Yeah. Um, but that being said, um, this isn't a loophole either. If you've wronged somebody, you yeah. can't just go to yeah. your pastor and think that you did the right thing without going to the person that you've wronged. True. Um, so in confession and absolution, um, there's, there's a couple things, you know, um, there's the general situation where you've committed some kind of sin and um, there's no temporal consequences for that sin. Um, there's just you having a troubled conscience. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where being able to go to your pastor to solve that troubled conscience mm-hmm. is a wonderful benefit or a trusted brother and sister or sister in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if I, you know when I was at the convention, Gary, stole your wallet, Yep. i couldn't just go to um you know the another pastor and confess my sins and hear it forgiven mm-hmm. and then hold on to your wallet mm-hmm. I'd have to give it back to you and apologize to you mm-hmm. yes and um, ask you for forgiveness that is part of the Christian mm-hmm. um, response to when we've wronged someone is that we make it right mm-hmm. yep. and when we're wronged we also offer absolution as well right so there is benefit to um to confessing to a pastor one of the things that's really um just uh, it's been it's been a question that i've had and i'm not sure there's a good answer to it you've kind kind of touched on it a little bit gary but um in my um seven and a half years in the ministry i have had i can count on one hand the amount of times i've had someone come to me and confess their sins Mm -hmm. for a private vast Yeah. In private, private confession. Yep. The vast majority of times that I have pronounced absolution, it's either been in the, over the course of our church service Mm -hmm. or at a youth gathering or, (laughs) um, or just in response to someone coming up to me and saying, "Um, pastor, I'd like to hear my sins forgiven. Do you know where that practice comes from? And do you think, is it just a response from the a pendulum swing the other way from people saying you have to name it.
1: Well, that's a good question. i i don't I, I don't claim to know that the answer to that. But um, um, I'll answer it this way. My I've experienced many coming to me for private confession, uh, quite a bit through the years, and that hasn't that hasn't changed. It's still it still goes on, um, and I think it's. I think sometimes people just want the assurance that their sins are forgiven. They ask for a blessing, but, um, but I think they should maybe be encouraged that is there some particular thing that's bothering you? I don't, I, I don't really claim to know the answer to that, but that's, that would be my thought. So, yeah, that's
0: good advice. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You
2: said that you proclaim the absolution in church service or at a youth gathering so in that situation you're proclaiming the absolution but there actually has never been a confession
0: so how does that work well at youth gatherings i've never done it without there also being a confession And, um, so at our church, this Monday, this last Monday, Thursday, we actually did do a corporate confession and absolution where we, um, do something like that. Um, and, uh, um, but generally, um, just as a practice, um, in my, um, preaching, um, when there is a conviction of the law or, you know, when the law is preached, the word of absolution is is not different than the gospel itself that your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times that common formula that we use, you can believe all your sins forgiven according to the name and blood of Jesus Christ. Um, that, that formula is, is used as a general proclamation of the gospel too. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense. What, um, and maybe Lois, this question might be better for you, but, um, have you, um, have you heard of ways that confession and absolution has been misused or abused in terms of um, where um, you know someone someone uses it and then expects the ability to be able to continue doing what they're doing?
2: Yes, sadly. So this maybe could be a question for Gary. I'll just kind of turn this to Gary. So we have in have had in our culture historically, the phrase forgive and forget yeah. so do you know kind of how that came about and we know that there are abuses of that regarding specifically the balm of gilead
0: mm-hmm. i think the phrase i've heard is um there's no fishy that your sins have been cast into the sea of grace where there is a no fishing sign yeah yeah
2: i think those are two different things though yeah
0: to me, those are two different things. Oh, I've always kind of conflated them. Okay.
1: Well, I I kind of think forgive and forget is more, not even a theological comment, right? You know, just you know, just kind of just go on with life and try to try to put the, your past sorrows and troubles behind you, or what people offended you with, kind of put those behind you. But I believe that uh, you know, in confession, it should be confidential. Um, in almost all cases, but not in cases that are, you know, where there's something that's been done that's been against the law of the land, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it it can be, it can be a varied amount of things. I mean, it can be amount, we can be talking about theft, or, or we can be talking about injured, injuring somebody's body, Mm -hmm. or we can be talking about sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. Those are not those should not be secret. Those should be dealt with. Not saying that it should be talked about publicly, but it's not like it's all done when you've confessed. No, it's not.
2: So that confession and absolution does not preclude earthly consequences for sin. That's right. Okay. Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah, my, my philosophy has been that um, I will not disclose the sins that are confessed to me. To, to anyone. However, part of repentance, there is um, what's called bear, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and we, we can get into this a little bit when we start talking about the office of the keys themselves. Mm-hmm. But the idea mm-hmm. is that coming to confession and absolution and repenting of your sins and asking for forgiveness, um, there is the idea that um, you still have to follow through in making those things right. So um, that is, mm-hmm. that means turning yourself into the temporal consequences, mm-hmm. making it right with the person that you offended. And, and that oftentimes what that means is that um, you will need to, um, then if there has been crimes committed, and they're within the statute of limitations or however that you would turn yourself in, you know, if you robbed a bank, give the money back. And face the music. Mm-hmm. That's part of the. That's part mm-hmm. of repentance. And so we encourage everyone to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Mm-hmm.
1: But let's uh, let's not make that um, a legalistic teaching, though. Too, I mean, if you know, you used the example earlier, you know, saying that if you took your somebody's wallet, you would return that but there's many many kinds of sin that we fall into that we can't do that with right I mean, if we have if we have the ability to do it i think it's very good and proper but how do you turn i mean people have murdered people mm-hmm. I mean, you can't bring their life back if you commit right, adultery right. you can't change that I mean, right. there's many things that that we cannot pay back.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. I just don't think it's the proper place for the pastor to be the one who has to go and report things or anything like that. It should be the one who has committed the crime that bears fruit in keeping with repentance by turning themselves into the temporal consequences for their sins.
2: I got a question, though, that we need to go back about the fishing in the Sea of Grace. I think more than like that being a forgive and forget um, parallel to me, forgive and forget means someone has wronged me. I must forgive them and then forget that it happened. As God says, I will not their sins. Like those transgressions are God does not remember. The cool thing about that is when God does remember he acts to save when it Mm -hmm. says God remembered Noah, you know, God remembers the people of remembered the people of Israel when they were in slavery in Egypt, and every time he remembered something like that, he he acted to save them and get them out of that situation.
0: Yeah, it's not like he forgot.
2: Right, exactly. So we use forgive and forget, kind of like God doesn't remember my sins, so you shouldn't either. Well, first of all, we're not God, and we have memories and we have, you know, emotions and. Tr- traumatic experiences actually do something to us. But the other the other one where you're fishing in the sea of grace to me is more like dragging up a sin that has been confessed. It's bothering me. Like Like I go and fish that thing back out of the sea of grace and put it back in my backpack. Like I'm gonna carry this again. And it's like, no, it's been drowned in the depths of the sea of grace jesus has that in his backpack thanks he's burying it on his body in stripes and and you know nails through his hands and feet and a crown of thorns he's burying that you're not so don't go dragging it back out of the lake perpetrators will misuse both of those terms forgive and forget and fishing in the sea of grace um Forgiven, forget means I've confessed, it's been proclaimed forgiven, and now you, my victim, must forget that it happened. And there are no consequences for this. Earthly consequences. But the other one is also fishing in the sea of grace is used in the sense, they may not use that exact term, but they will say that if you, as a victim, bring up, a sin that has been confessed that it now becomes your sin to bear on your conscience so that if the victim of sexual abuse talks to someone and says I've been abused and that's been quote unquote forgiven and forgotten. Now that sin of perpetrating a crime is on their conscience to bear. That's terrible. And that is horrifying. Yeah. And it silences victims and it, it protects sin and it protects perpetrators in an, in that they are able to continually reabuse.
0: Yeah, And I think I've heard of similar things like this, um, not with just sexual abuse, but like marital abuse where a husband will use it to hold things over a wife's head or a wife will use it to hold things over mm-hmm. a husband's head. Um, mm-hmm. or addiction yep, addiction that too yeah. um and so as 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 pastors or as christians um this is where we need to very much um this is what part of um guarding christ's words mean so when he gives us a yes. gift um we 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 treasure and guard his word as such that um we don't allow it to be misused i would say that this is um that what you've described is not only breaking the commandment um, to love your neighbor, but um, it's also a, se- a breaking of the second commandment, misusing the Lord's name.
2: Yes, absolutely. When we would
0: proclaim sins forgiven in his name and blood and then say that somehow that gives us power over somebody else and can even transfer sin to their conscience, that's a very dangerous teaching that should be wholly rejected. Mm-hmm. So, that mm-hmm. analogy is more about um, you dredging those things back up yeah
2: yes that's what i think. I agree
0: yeah i i love that example that you used about god remembering um because the inverse of that is also true um in ancient thought um you know when you remember something you act and when you don't yes. remember something it's you don't act and so when right? yeah when when god remembers noah or samson says remember me <laughs> Um, yes. Or the thief on the cross says, "Remember me." Yes, um, they're yes. all crying out for salvation. And when God says, "I will not remember your sins," He's saying, "I will not act on them."
2: Mm-hmm. It's it's a really
0: amazing, amazing truth.
2: Yeah,
0: it's beautiful. Um, so Luther also writes in his in his catechism, "What sins should we confess mm-hmm. before God? We should acknowledge ourselves guilty of all sins, even of those which we do not discern." as we do in the Lord's prayer. But before the confessor, we should confess those sins only which we know and which trouble us. Um, So that's something that I think Luther uh, hammered in quite a bit, because um, the idea that you have to name and make an exhaustive list of all the sins that you have committed um, is not new to the apostolic Lutheran church. Luther um, has this quote regarding the the Catholic he says, for that reason, we do not teach confession as the Pope's theologians do, that we must count up our sins. This is the only thing the Papists call confession, or that by doing so, we obtain forgiveness and become worthy of absolution. As they say, because of your contrition and confession, I absolve you from your sins. Rather, we teach that we should use confession in order to hear the comfort of the gospel and thus to awaken And strengthen faith in the forgiveness of sins, which is the true chief part of repentance. Thus, to confess does not mean, as it does among the papists, to make a long list counting up the sins, but to desire absolution, which is in itself confession enough. That is, that we acknowledge our guilt and confess that we are sinners. Nothing more should be demanded or imposed on us about counting up by name all or some many or few sins you yourself could then point out something which especially burdens your conscience for which you need instruction and advice or special comfort as is often necessary for young inexperienced people and also for others Mm -hmm. so that's an excerpt from a sermon and it kind of deals quite well with what we've been talking about what 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 do you think about those quotes from luther there gary i like them
1: I, i like them very much um I was going to read a, a, a part from um, the small called articles that, of course, that Luther wrote um, that I really like about confession. You know, and it's about it's on of confession. It's very short. Uh, Since absolution or the power of the keys is also an aid and consolation against sin and a bad conscience ordained by Christ himself in the gospel. Confession or absolution ought by no means to be abolished in the church, especially on account of tender and timid consciences and and on account of the untrained young people and so forth. Um, We haven't really talked too much today about conscience. And I think that's something that we need to, that needs to be clear teaching also. You know, God has given us a conscience You know, and that's what Luther's talking about when we confess those things that we know and bother us. But, you know, let's not let our conscience be affected by somebody else's teaching or somebody else's convictions or things like that. I mean, God has given us a conscience, and it's not like it's perfect. Um, There's a saying, you know, let your conscience be your, your guide, but that's not even true. I mean, a conscience can be hard and and it can be um, broken. broken. Yes, right. But the tender yes. conscience—that's this. That's the beauty. That's one of the most beautiful things for a person with a tender conscience is to hear. You know, their ability to confess their sins and to hear those beautiful words of absolution for them. It's so mm-hmm. precious.
0: Yeah, the conscience is a. Um... It's a, it's 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 fascinating when you when you when you look into it. Paul writes to Timothy, he 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 tells Timothy to um hold fast to faith and a good conscience. Yes. And then he brings up these two people, Alexander and Hymenius, And he says that those two um, did not do that. Yeah. And um, over the course of that they shipwrecked their faith. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and um, so the conscience I think yes is a gift from God but it's something that we have to guard Um, Mm -hmm. and um, it can be broken for example when I was um, 12 years old um, I used to ride my bike to the grocery store that was down the street from our house Mm -hmm. and one of the neighbor kids taught me a way to steal Um, he he showed me that um, you could go to the clearance section and take the you know 39 cent price tag off of a dented can of tuna yeah. and uh, you know grab a, uh, a new comic book and uh, wrinkle yeah. up the back page and slap that price tag on it and they'd sell it to you for 39 cents. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's how it started. And I remember feeling pretty bad about it, but the more I could, pretty soon I was walking in, filling up my pockets and walking out. Yeah. And uh, the first time was so much harder yeah. than the last time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Uh I felt bad for it, but it was more like, I was more afraid of getting caught. And so I had severely damaged my conscience Uh and it wasn't Uh until I did get caught, Uh um, that, um, I was actually able to deal with the repercussions of that and, and face it. Yeah. Uh But, but yeah, it's very easy to, um, it's almost like, uh, like, blazing a trail you know if you're walking through the woods and there's no trail it's hard mm-hmm. but the more you walk down that same route you're going to make a trail and it will be easier and easier to go down that road mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. by the same token though the absolution and the confession confession and absolution and hearing the gospel can heal that retenderize tenderize yes. that conscience oh yes
0: that's true. And I would even say um, uh, that's why it's so important that we um, do make a practice of being around the hearing of the Lord's word, mm-hmm. um, because Absolutely. because the um, the word of God does that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, through the preaching mm-hmm. of the law, um, mm-hmm. we are definitely convicted of our sins mm-hmm. um, through mm-hmm. the preaching of the gospel. We definitely receive that assurance that Christ has forgiven them. And right. um the reason that our consciences are so fit uh, and I shouldn't say the reason, but because our consciences are so fickle and can be broken, and one thing might be okay for another, but not for someone else, that underscores the importance of being regularly around the preaching of God's word, because that's what centers uh-huh. us. As Gary said, you know, let your conscience be uh-huh. your guide. No, let God's word be, be sure. your guide. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, Adam and Eve stole the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. And so now we have that knowledge of good and evil. But we're not supposed to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, who, what did Adam and Eve know about good and evil before they ate of the fruit? Only good. Only good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and, and where did that come
1: from? God said it is good. Everything is, he made is good.
0: Yeah. And, and really it comes down to it was God. Yeah. That was their knowledge of good and evil. Now, in our day and age, um, how many how many times do we hear even Christians say, well, that's not the God I know? Yeah. Or say, say something like, um, you know, God wouldn't do that when talking about mm-hmm. things that God clearly has done and did in his word. Mm-hmm. And so we exactly. have this corrupted knowledge of good and evil. And we... Very often use it against God and Mm -hmm. say, "I know better than you do." But that's where understanding that, okay, my even my sense of what's right and what's wrong is off. Yeah, we have to let the scriptures be our guide. So I really appreciate how you said that, Mm -hmm. Gary. Mm
1: -hmm. And again, that even confessing sins by name that that that's connected with like repairing our conscience i mean the uh our conscience in that way
2: so in regard to that then i know people with a very tender conscience sincere christians who will weep over their Mm -hmm. sin and they have sins that they do not have the courage to speak yep. because they are so yep. at least to their mm-hmm. mind they are so heinous and so despicable that they can't open their mouths. It's like there's more to the story but I can't say it right now. You know, so what about those sins? Are they forgiven?
1: Yes, they are. We 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 proclaim the absolution of all believe all your sins forgiven believe them all forgiven yeah there's that's good to be able to encourage them to god's grace there
0: yes yeah i I especially like that part of um luther's quote where he says um thus to confess does not mean as it does among the papists to make a long list counting up the sins but to desire absolution to but to desire absolution which is in mm-hmm. itself confession enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I noticed yeah. that too. I still think there is um, that is confession enough, yeah. um, but there is still value when your conscience is burdened mm-hmm. um, to um, to give voice to that which burdens you and to 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 bring it into the light and to mm-hmm. receive forgiveness. I'm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, not not for salvation, but maybe because we have salvation and we need that assurance. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, the devil and our own conscience is going to toss it back in our face.
1: Yes. You know, that's true.
2: The devil's going to say, you're not even a Christian because you did that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our own frailty of our own self is also saying, how can you be a Christian if you do things like that? Right. Where if we've confessed it by name and heard the absolution, we can have the assurance that that thing by name has been forgiven. Not just all of my sins in a general sense and the pastor didn't actually know about this one because mm-hmm. I didn't say it.
0: Right. But so that I did somehow say doesn't can, Yeah, no, I see where you're coming from. <laughs>
2: so it it's like really would 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 I receive absolution if i actually named that one thing which is why i encourage people in that situation to speak those things like give that burden to jesus Mm -hmm. not you you don't have to carry that Mm -hmm. but but that's also weighed on the balance of i don't have the courage to speak all the things because they're so terrible you know in certain cases and and as the conscience is repaired by the blood of Jesus and as the as the absolution does its healing and the gospel does its healing in a person i think they are more able to bring those things forward
1: and i think uh, people need to be encouraged also that you know the sin that we fall into you know even though we can say it's so bad and everything else it still is common you know it's unfortunately i'll say it's common know, people have fallen into uh-huh. some pretty grievous sin in our midst you know and uh-huh. it's uh-huh. maybe as as a minister or pastor sometimes we get uh, maybe callous of it because we hear we hear what people have fallen into but god's grace uh-huh. is great jesus paid it all uh-huh.
0: amen uh-huh. Paul says um, that no sin has overtaken us that is not common to man. Right. Am, am I remembering? Yeah. And help me finish that. No temptation. Verb. Yeah, no temptation. No temptation.
2: <laughs> but as but with the temptation, he escape. will provide a way of escape. Yeah,
0: a way to bear it and escape. Yeah. And and I would also say that um we, we tend to um hear this and know it, but um in this conversation, I think it's especially uh important to um, bring up and underline that um, all of our sin all of it everything you have ever done everything you will ever do was cast upon Jesus he took all of it upon himself and took it all to the cross the wages of sin is death and he paid those wages in full for you and that's the gospel that's right
1: he laid on him the iniquity of us all.
0: Yes. And so so, so those sins that we're afraid to give voice to because we're, we think we're the only one. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not, first of all. And second of all, Jesus has paid that price okay. in full for you. He
1: knew mm-hmm. them. He knows them very well.
0: In the Catechism, Luther continues, and he says, which are those sins that we should confess? He says, here, consider your station in the light of the Ten Commandments, whether you are a father, mother, son, daughter, master, mistress, servant, whether you have been disobedient, unfaithful, slothful, whether you have wronged anyone by word or deed, whether you have stolen, neglected, wasted, aught, or done any harm. Yeah. Um, so that's a pretty exhaustive list. It is. Yeah. Um, when we consider our our station in life in light of the Ten Commandments, um, we find very quickly that we fall short. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've heard of um, people who um, maybe were under um, some of that exacting teaching that you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. um, who said that um, when it was time to confess, they started to make stuff up because they didn't always know what to confess.
1: I've heard that too, yeah.
0: Um, and, and so that is something that should be avoided at all costs Mm -hmm.
1: for sure (laughs)
0: um the the idea that um you would um that 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 teaching would lead someone to think that and do that is is terrifying in and of itself because what what you're doing when you're when you're making stuff up is you're you're simply giving lip service for the um for the 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 ears of man you know and god gives us this um sacred gift Mm -hmm. To really be a blessing to us, not for us to uh, misuse in that way.
1: Related to that is, you know, even in my experience, it seems like some people would come, and they would have a long, exhaustive list. You know, and not saying I can't, I can't see into their hearts, but that's how some people confess, and others, it's just this one thing is what's really bothering me. You know, they don't say it's just this one thing, but. You know, they have one thing that's really bothering them, and they want to uh, confess and hear the absolution for that. So it doesn't have to be a long list,
0: right? Mm-hmm. Not at all.
2: So, then maybe this is a place to bring up the question at a conversation with an older woman. Somehow, the, the phrase came up about dying. With no sin on your conscience, like basically like, you know, we can hope that we would confess, receive the absolution, and then drop dead quickly, you know, before we can sin again. But are our sins covered between those confession times and hearing the absolution?
1: Absolutely. There's no way we're going to leave this life in perfection, and even with a perfect conscience, you know, I, uh, Lois, I've heard the very same thing I can remember, and it actually was a woman told me that um, close to death, she told me that I believe that I've confessed all my sins, you know, and heard them forgiven, and I told her, well, you know, that's good, but may your assurance be in what Jesus has done for you, Rather than your, your mm-hmm. confessing of your sins, you know, and I preached G- Jesus Christ to her and I, I trust and I hope that she left this life with that assurance, but uh, we, we can so easily get, turn our focus away from the right place. But our mm-hmm. sins are forgiven.
2: Yes. We still want to do something so yeah I know we, we, we can do a good confession
0: at least
1: yeah I mean <laughs> that kind of gives us a little bit of comfort doesn't it
0: yeah exactly <laughs> yes indeed um one of the things that I've been thinking of is Luther says before God we should confess yeah. and acknowledge or be, before God we should acknowledge ourselves guilty of all sins yes, uh-huh. is it um is it okay to simply, um, if your sins are troubling you, to confess those sins to God in your prayers?
1: Of course, and that's that's what we do in the Lord's Prayer. Also, I mean, we are yes. we are confessing before God, and I know that's another teaching that's been in our movement is that there's no forgiveness unless you for, unless you confess and ask for your sins to be forgiven. You know that there's no forgiveness in prayer and so forth, but. Um, It's not true. God forgives. I mean, that's why this teaching of the catechism is so right, that we would confess to a confessor those things that we know and trouble us. But that doesn't prevent us from also asking God to forgive in in prayer. Mm -hmm.
0: And and very often, I mean, in my personal experience, um, when I am troubled by my sin, Very often, saying a prayer and confessing that sin to God and asking Him for forgiveness um, is enough. Yes, and that sin doesn't trouble me anymore. That's right. Um, but there are cases where it's not. That's right. And um, for whatever reason, I uh, I, I, I don't have peace. Yeah. And so that's when that's when we're when we're burdened, and um, that's when that. Confession is is really valuable, or confession and absolution is so valuable. Where then you can go to someone, and um, and and receive peace for that troubled conscience.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to I'd like to talk about something that I don't know if we've covered briefly here, but you know we've talked about mainly about sins that we are troubled with as we are standing before God. But confession and absolution also is so valuable for differences between people and for reconciliation between, you know, husband and wife, between parents and children and things like that. that confession there and when absolution is used is so valuable, so precious.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lois, did you have something?
2: Yeah, I was going to ask, and it's, it's maybe ties into what Gary just said. You know, the, I love the phrase in that catechism where it says, even those we do not discern. Because we can have this exhaustive list when we go to confession, but, and, and I think those are things that we have done and things we have left undone, you know, this, we have, sins of omission and sins of commission both in that it's the relationship of the things I should have done as well as you know that I neglected to do I should have been more helpful I should have been more you know caring or whatever not necessarily just the things I did but the things I neglected to do And that's for the relationship building of family, husband and wife,
0: you know, siblings, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Gary, um, have you heard the phrase um, uh, home altar? Yes. Yes. What is that about? And um, is that something that um, is is good? It's
1: good. I I believe it's good. Um, I think, I mean, we hear that in my lifetime. I've heard that often at a let's say at a wedding, as part of a the message at the wedding, you know, telling the husband and wife, the new husband and wife that set up a home altar, you know, and when there's, not if there's differences, but when there are differences and when there are hurts and harms, you know, bad words to each other or whatever, well, use confession and absolution in your home. You know, don't just say, you know, I'm sorry, you know. But ask for forgiveness. Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, maybe it's been overdone sometimes, but the idea, the thought of it, is very good.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's also worth worth mentioning for um, the people that that if if you are troubled by a sin, habitual sin, yeah. um, then this. This this practice of confession and absolution is a big help. Yes, mm. um, big help. Uh, and, and that's that's maybe one of the benefits of of also going to a pastor with it, because um, when we're troubled by our sin, it's not just we're troubled by what we've done, but especially when it's habitual, we don't want to do it again. Yes. Mm-hmm. But just like the apostle Paul says, that thing we don't don't want to do, that's what we end up doing. Mm-hmm. And so this is one of the ways this is, and, and, and it, it feels kind of reductive to just say it's a, you know, it's a tool, um, but it is a way out, a way of escape. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's where there is a benefit. If you're troubled by a habitual sin, then go to your pastor and talk to him about it. Regularly practice confession and absolution. Yeah. I would encourage people not to have, you know, six different people that you're talking to right. with. Time passing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, go mm-hmm. go to one person, have that accountability. Yeah. And um, there's very often freedom in regular confession and absolution. If you're struggling with a habitual sin mm-hmm. and you practice that accountability in regular confession and absolution, then that's that's very often the way to freedom. It is. Yes,
1: yeah. It, that's very good. And 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 I like that what you say that it can be the pastor, but um, you know, some places. You know, around us, uh, it's not that's not even possible. So it's very valuable if you can have a, a brother or sister in faith that you can be really open and honest with, that you can trust them and know them from the heart, and you can say anything that anything to them and you can feel safe about it. You know, what, what a wonderful way to, you know, and then use confession and absolution with them. It's so, so mm-hmm. beautiful.
0: I would caution against, um, if at all possible, um, you know, if you're dealing with a struggling with a sexual yep. sin or a sin of that nature yep. of sexual immorality to go to somebody of the same gender as you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that would be, that would be free. I mean, it's not always possible. And, and also, um, maybe, uh, and, and this is where it's good to go to an elder too, mm-hmm. if at all possible, someone who's got a little more experience, mm-hmm. um, uh, not because um, not because somehow the absolution is invalid, but um, you'd want to guard against um, forming inappropriate bonds yeah. or um, um, receiving advice that may not be correct from a younger person. The absolution is valid, yeah. but but you when you're give, when you're finding yourself in those situations where you can have that conversation about what you've done. Yeah. Um, there's also valuable advice that you can receive from your pastor or an elder or someone else. Um, but I, I think, um, you know, don't go, um, I, I would definitely advise against, you know, uh, you know, confessing your sins to the girl that you have a crush on or the boy that you're, um, looking to, um, start a relationship with That's yes. right. now yeah. when, in the midst of a marriage, this is, this is different. That, that was maybe more t- geared towards single people. Yeah. Um, in the midst of a marriage, you know, very often your spouse is an appropriate one, but sometimes maybe, sometimes maybe not. I, I guess maybe that should be fleshed out a little bit. Gary, are, are there situations where you would advise, advise, advise a husband or a wife not to confess their sins to each other, all of them?
1: Well, I would say most all cases, but I mean, Nick, if you had this, if you had a had some really bad thoughts about your wife and you had this kind of thought that you said, you know what? I wish I never married that woman. You wouldn't, it would be, it would be, you should never tell your wife that.
0: Yeah. Right. You
1: should never do that. Okay. I mean, that's not being dishonest, but that's, you, you, you would shield her from, from your, some of your corruption,
0: Yes, that's
1: right. hurtful because it would hurt. Yeah,
0: yeah. Guard her you know, feelings. Another thing that I or his I can mm-hmm. remember
1: uh, from my being young. I remember this kind of teaching also. You know, talking to young people, and it was do- it was done in a very nice way. And it was saying, young people, you know, if you fall, if you if you young couples fall into sexual sin, well, don't ask forgiveness from those that you felt fallen into sin with go to somebody else mm-hmm. well, I thought at, at the time I kind of like sit back in my seat well that's kind of graphic but no that's I think that's good teaching because mm-hmm. you go to your pastor you know he can take he can give you some advice on not falling how to not fall into that again
2: right mm-hmm. on that same line then is regarding bomb of Gilead yeah. where a perpetrator would confess and expect to receive absolution from their victim yeah yeah you know
1: that's
2: Mm -hmm. that's heaping sin on sin it seems like to me
1: right
0: yeah Yeah. and even in the midst of a consensual relationship if you're if you're you know if there's premarital sexual immorality Mm -hmm. um uh then very often, what what would be the practicality of that situation is you you fall into sin, you you have it forgiven, and then the next time you come together, you do it again, and mm-hmm. you you fall into that cycle, right. mm-hmm. and, and that's what we would guard against is um, using the gospel as an excuse to sin, yeah. mm-hmm. and um, that's that's not the right way. This this is a salve for the broken conscience yeah. mm-hmm. for the tr- for the hearted, mm-hmm. it is not something to embolden people to um to go forward and sin more right. Mm-hmm. Right. shall we sin that grace may abound right that's, that's no god that's, forbid, god forbid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that brings us into the office of the keys luther writes what is the office of the keys and he says it is the peculiar church power which christ has given to his church on earth to forgive the sins of penitent sinners but to retain the sins of the impenitent as long as they do not repent. Where is this written? Thus writes the holy evangelist John. The Lord Jesus breathed on his disciples and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. It says then, how many keys are there? Two. One for loosing, one for binding. What is the key for loosing? It is that power given by Christ to his servants on earth to release a repentant sinner from his sins, which opens to him the kingdom of heaven. Where is this written? In Christ's own words, whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. St. Paul writes, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. What is the key for binding? It is the power given by Christ to his servants on earth by which an unrepentant sinner is bound by his sin, which closes heaven to him, excommunicates him. Where is this written? Christ himself says, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. So this is where we get the authority to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. Mm -hmm. And that's what the key for loosing is. Um, but, Gary, the key for binding, yeah. what is that all about? Do um, if, if I have an enemy, um, someone who I don't like, mm-hmm. can I bind them in their sins and close the door to heaven to them? No.
1: No, you don't have the authority to do that. Mm.
0: So what, what, what kind of authority is God giving us when he tells us to um, bind the sins of the unrepentant as long as they do not repent?
1: Well, I may look at it in a limited way. But um, because I don't trust my ability to determine, you know, what if somebody's penitent or not. But mm-hmm. I would be, I would freely say to somebody that says, you know, I don't believe in God. you know, I, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. I don't believe that he's the son of God. You know, I, I think we would have the authority to say unless, unless you repent, unless God gives you the grace of repentance um you're going to be lost. You're you're not going to be saved. You know, and uh I be I very freely and have done that. But uh and I believe that you know even though they're just my words that binds that person. You know, unless he repents, he's not going to be saved. But but I don't believe that I can we need to be careful that we don't bind somebody by saying you you don't have the same convictions that i got therefore i'm going to bind you you Mm -hmm. we don't have that authority
0: right yeah i i've kind of looked at it in a similar way Mm -hmm. that it's it's almost like these keys are um simple proclamations of truth yeah right um Mm -hmm. that um the 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 key for loosing um that your sins are forgiven for christ's sake the key for binding he who believeth not is condemned already you know that if you continue you know if you continue in this then you yeah you're you're done your sins are not forgiven and we can
1: use the word of god and that that has the power to bind it Mm -hmm. our words
2: so that's kind of the proclamation of status if you want to use that i don't know what word it is in heaven where where they're standing the person's standing in heaven You are standing in God's grace and your sins are forgiven. I'm just, I'm just the mouth that's, you know, proclaiming that. But if you're not repentant, then you're standing in heaven is you are not, you are not saved. You are not forgiven because, Mm -hmm. because you're not forgiven in heaven, because you won't acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of God's grace.
1: That's right. Right. And. And let's. This is, a, this is a place that is, if we really can see it, this is such an important place. I mean, just think, Nick, Lois, we have the power to preach the gospel. It's been given to us people so mm-hmm. that we can actually preach. They believe your sins forgiven because of what Jesus has done. Isn't that a wonderful, isn't that a great authority and power we've been given? Let's Mm -hmm. use it.
0: Yes, it is. And it is. um, I I don't know if you appreciate that until you've been on the receiving end of it. Yeah. Yes. And and that's where I would encourage those who um, maybe feel like this is just old fashioned, (laughs) like, it's not for you mm-hmm. to take advantage of this gift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in the uh, the sense of use it wrongly, but but to take it up and use it. Yeah, use it. And to, um, you know, if you're troubled by your sins, to confess them and hear them forgiven. Mm-hmm. Because there's nothing more beautiful than giving voice to that which the devil tells you will bring only condemnation and judgment. Mm-hmm. And then instead receiving grace and mercy. hmm
1: mm-hmm. And what a hindrance it is to our faith when, when we have something that's bothering our conscience and the devil is able to come and preach to us that how can you be a Christian when you've done this and, and it's something that bothers your conscience. Oh, use this confession and absolution. It's such a, such a great thing, blessed thing to, come, to strengthen our faith. Through it
0: faith are strengthened. hmm Yeah, Luther um, Luther has this writing that is very personal to me that I uh, that I found very valuable in in my walk is um, he says when the when when Satan comes to me and calls me a sinner, he says you're slaying yourself with your own sword. That's what he tells the devil. <laughs> yeah. You're slaying yourself with your own sword yeah. because it was sinners that Christ died for. Yes, yes.
1: yeah, yeah.
0: You know, cause I, um, I, I, I was at a point, um, not that long ago where I was really struggling, not just with the burden of sin, but with doubt and fear, um, that, that God didn't exist. Yeah, yeah. And, um, there, there was one particular night where I was really just struggling with it. And, um, I came to this realization that there was one thing beyond a shadow of a doubt that I knew that was real, mm-hmm. um, that I couldn't deny, um, And it was um, that I am a sinner. Mm -hmm. That my sin is 100% real. Mm -hmm. And um, that gave me the grace to believe that God's forgiveness was 100% real too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, That, yeah, I mean, look around this world. Sin is all over the place. Mm -hmm. But where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm. That's what, um, what was the thing you read about earlier where he says coming to... Receiving the absolution, Mm -hmm. knowing that you need the absolution is the confession. What was that?
0: That was um, from a sermon that Luther preached. um,
2: I don't remember how it was worded, but that kind of is, oh, yeah, it ties into what that, what you were feeling.
0: Yep, exactly. He says, it does not mean to confess, does not mean to make a long list as it does among the papists, counting up the sins. Mm -hmm but to desire absolution which is in itself confession. So that
2: was it right there. You were desiring absolution because you knew you needed it.
1: Yeah. Exactly. You know? So
2: you know mm-hmm. I'm a sinner. I'm a real sinner. That's for sure real.
1: Yeah.
0: And mm-hmm. and the absolution is for you. Yeah.
1: That's
0: beautiful. Yeah. Well, I think we're getting close to um reaching our time limit okay. here.
1: Okay.
0: Um Gary, is there anything that you'd like to say in closing? Yeah.
1: Well, I would, I would like to um, encourage people that have been taught wrongly about confession and absolution, you know, who have been, let's say, maybe even abused by some of the teaching of it. I would like to encourage them to look beyond that and look into the teaching of the scripture and of, of the catechism and see the benefit of it. Um, yes, it is true that many it has been taught wrong in, in an exacting way sometimes, but uh, don't throw it out. This is a wonderful teaching. It's a it's one of the means of grace that we that's in our doctrine, and it's an important piece. So, uh, um, I need this. I you know all my all my life from a young boy. Uh, This has been precious to me. Mm -hmm. And and it's not something that's in the past. It's for today, too.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. Lois, how about you? Is there anything you'd like to say in closing?
2: Yes, I will add to what Gary said and say, you know, the, the small catechism has this short explanation, but there is more to read. Yep. in the large catechism that will flush that out
1: yeah yep.
2: in really really beautiful ways so i think you know the small catechism is wonderful and it's a great teaching tool
0: mm-hmm.
2: for memorization for you know we have those things kind of we're marinated in them mm-hmm. but if you're confused about something in the small catechism then go to the large catechism and see what mm-hmm. that document has to say about it because it's much more comprehensive.
1: Very good.
0: Well, thank you guys for coming on. I've really enjoyed this discussion. And that's it for this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to hear more of Gary's preaching, you can do so at the um, New Ipswich Apostolic Lutheran Church's website. And if you'd like to hear more from Lois, you can do so by listening to her podcast, Dicey Stuff. Both of those links will be available for you in the description. This episode of the podcast was brought to you by the Eastern Mission Board of the Apostolic Lutheran Church. So thank you to them for supporting this endeavor. Of course, our goal is to be self, self-sufficient. self So if you'd like to donate, you can do so by visiting the Patreon link in the description. Well, until next time, God's peace.
1: God's peace.